Post Reports is sponsored by The Asset Podcast, produced by the Center for American Progress Action Fund, District Productive, and Protect the Investigation. In Season 2, The Asset explains how Trump is trying to use the government of Ukraine to help him win in 2020. Download The Asset today. From the newsroom of The Washington Post. Hey, it's Ross Helderman from The Post calling. How are you? Hey there, it's Sungman from The Post. Uh, hey, it's Dave Farron from The Post. Have you got a second This is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Friday, November 29th. Today, the complicated life of a Black activist and how he came to take control of a neo-Nazi group. What have you been investigating? Uh, The strangest story I've ever worked on. It started out as this tale that came across my desk back in March about this black activist from California who seemed to have taken over a neo-Nazi group in Michigan. Katie Mettler is a general assignment reporter for The Post. And back in March, she published her first story about this black activist, a guy named James Stern. Almost immediately, the story went viral. New tonight, a black man is in charge. That's right. A black man now heading up a neo-Nazi party. He got shout outs on cable television. Ava DuVernay was tweeting about it. He got compared to the real black Klansman. Basically, I get a phone call from a man named Jeff Scoop. He convinced Jeff Scoop, the longtime commander of the National Socialist Movement. I have an idea. Give it to me to sign over the organization. He says, it's yours. And my first question was... That's right, Alicia. There are a lot of questions tonight. Like, how How did this happen? How? Well, so let's just go back for a second. Who is James Stern? Like, who is this guy at the center of this whole thing? James Stern has always been an enigma to me. He's this guy who spent his life as a community activist, as a preacher, as a civil rights advocate. He did a lot of work in his community to make it better. In his early years, his 20s and 30s, he worked on a lot of community activism efforts in the South Central L.A. community. He helped organize gang summits between the Bloods and the Crips. I got two Bloods already came up. Do I have two Crips that have come up and take your job? That will go out of Los Angeles and we will take you from city to city to state to state and spread the word that we are going to love each other and we're going to spread the good news that it's time for unity. This is their board meeting. They're united. They're serious about getting something done. And when we walk out of here tonight, we will accomplish some solid goals. And after a young girl was shot and killed by a Korean grocery store owner. Latasha Harlins was shot and killed by a merchant in South Central Los Angeles. There was a lot of unrest and he helped to organize summits between Korean grocery store owners and their black neighbors. But along the way, he was also a bit of an opportunist. He would be accused of doing things just to get in the media spotlight. He would get himself caught up in criminal activity sometimes. He was convicted of fraud. When I first wrote that first story, I Google his name and I see articles that pop up saying, Actually, this is not the first time he has won over a white supremacist. 
he did this before in Mississippi in prison to Edgar Ray Killen, one of the most notorious KKK leaders in the country's history. So there had been another time where he had befriended a white supremacist and yes. gotten something from them? So while he was in California, he was in charge of an organization that supported barbers and hairstylists. And he, according to law enforcement, obtained legally a list of barbers and hairstylists in the state of Mississippi and then used that information to defraud them. And that got him sent to prison in Mississippi at Parchman Farm, which is one of the most notorious prisons in the country. And meanwhile... A man named Edgar Ray Killen, one of the most notorious Klansmen in the history of the country, has also landed in the same cell block at Parchman Farm in Mississippi. That's wild. Truly wild. When he realized who he was sharing a cell block with, what was his reaction to that? James says that that Edgar, you know, called him the N-word almost every day, was generally disrespectful to him. But also, James has this special gift of relating to just about anybody. And so James tells the story of this one moment where the other inmates in their cell block were attempting to put things you don't want in your food in your food. And he interfered and stood up for Edgar. And the way James describes it, that didn't necessarily pan out too well for him in the long run in terms of the other people in the cell block, but it made Edgar trust him. So how did the relationship between James Stern and Killen start to develop? Edgar would start to tell James stories about his wife and past. Now, a lot of that we were not able to independently corroborate with our reporting. But according to James, that's how the friendship started. And James says that, you know, while he was in prison, someone who knew about Edgar's past and about the effort in the state to figure out these secrets of the Klan's involvement in lynchings and murders, you know, over the decades, said, if you don't write this down, no one's going to believe you. And so James says that he went to Edgar and eventually convinced him to write, start writing these things down in letters that he then gave to James. So he has these letters. And then what does he do with them? So James leaves prison in 2011 and almost immediately takes these letters and the information that he has learned from Edgar A. Killen to the press. It's hard to believe that a convicted member of the KKK would tell his story to a black man. He is interviewed by local TV journalists. Now, when he's telling me these things, I already knew no one's going to believe me. <laughs> I said, so, I said, Edgar, I said, do you really want your thoughts to get out there? I says, you got to write this stuff down. And very quickly catches the eye of people in Hollywood. People are saying that your motivation, book deals, movie deals. It would be a crime not to actually have a book that actually give the rest of the details of the man himself, the Imperial Wizard himself, Edgar A. Killen. Almost immediately, Edgar A. Killen's family comes out and denies that any of this happened. They call the letters a fraud. They say that James took advantage of Edgar A. Killen in prison. And when you were talking to James about this, did James feel like he was doing a public good by getting this person's story and trying to publicize some of the really terrible things that this Klansman had done? I think that James saw this as part of his history of working towards racial reconciliation 
in the world. Not just racial reconciliation, but reconciliation between warring groups, right? He worked with the Bloods and the Crips in L.A., and here he is in Mississippi, a black man befriending a notorious Klansman. James goes back to California and decides his new life purpose is working toward racial reconciliation between people of color and white supremacists. Hmm. And what does that look like? He gets this idea. He wants to have a national conversation on race with the National Socialist Movement, the largest neo-Nazi group in America. Hmm. He cold calls Jeff Scoop, who is the longtime commander, and says, you don't know me, I don't know you. What do you think about flying out to Beverly Hills for a sit-down conversation? There's video of it, and I watched the whole thing. When I contacted the commander, Jeff, I says, you know, I says, we need to have a conversation on race. And he didn't say that he was quiet because hearing from a black man cold like we did, I call him, he was cautiously optimistic. He was caught very cautious. To see what they were in a hotel conference room. And there was a a long table set up at one end, and on one side were the neo-Nazis. In regards to white civil rights, basically, um, I think we covered this a little bit already, but um, basically our concern is white issues here in America and uh, uplifting our own people. Can you define white? When you say white, define what you mean by white. Basically, a white person is a person of... uh, And on the other side were the black panelists, and in the middle stood James Stern. Well, we could go. We could go into a history of where the Jewish race originated, but that could that could uh, really, really prolong the whole. It would probably be better to have. That would take away to twenty minutes. Probably it's better to have a Jewish person up here. I think. Just so we just so we can all be clear. My name is James Stern. My father's George Stern. My father's a Orthodox Jewish Ethiopian. There's this moment that Jeff describes where. He sort of thinks like, oh, this James Stern guy, he's interesting. So throughout the panel, James would sort of interject for points of information, and Jeff felt like he really moderated fairly. In other words, the National Socialist Movement has been trying to get their message out, their real message out, and they are still being perceived for what they were in 1960. Now, do I agree with the National Socialist Movement? No, absolutely not, because we do have views that are not the same. But I do agree one thing with the National Socialist Movement. He made it clear that he disagreed with what Jeff Scoop represented, but he would also say things like, they have said this about themselves or they have said that. He really encouraged people to be fair. Of course, there were moments of tension, but it lasted at about two hours and, and everybody went home. Except for James and Jeff, who went on a radio blitz tour. Together. Together. And then once they were on the radio tour, there was this moment where one of the radio announcers said something along the lines of this hate group, this neo-Nazi group. And James interjected and said, no, 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 they're a white civil rights group, which is the language, which is the language that Jeff was using throughout the meeting to try and communicate that they were not a hate group. They were not racist. They were a white civil rights group, no different than the NAACP. So at that point, it appeared that that James had kind of been won over by 
this neo-Nazi group, or at least by this guy, Jeff Scoop, and that he had started to become friends with him and that he'd started to feel like, well, maybe they aren't so hateful and terrible after all. Yes. I don't know if James being won over by the neo-Nazis is so much as James knows how to befriend anybody and he can shapeshift based on the conversation that he is in and the people he is with. So what happened from there? So they go their separate ways. Jeff and his members return to Detroit, Michigan, where their organization is headquartered. James remains in California, and they agree that they're going to keep in touch. They have occasional phone conversations or email exchanges. Sometimes they text. And then in August of 2017, white nationalists, white supremacists, neo-Nazis, and people who identify as the alt-right descend upon Charlottesville, Virginia, for the Unite the Right rally. Among those people is Jeff Scoop and other members of his organization. Jeff Scoop, literally, he he went there. He was among the people carrying the tiki torches. He was not there for the tiki torches, but he was there for the next day, yes. And their group participates in the rally. Jeff admits to a documentary filmmaker who was following them at the time that he got in a physical altercation and punched someone. They were very much in the mix of it. But they left before Heather Heyer was killed. That was a woman who was killed when a man drove a car into a crowd of people. Yeah, that's right. So about two months after the Charlottesville rally, a group of anti-racist protesters who were there at Unite the Right get together with an organization called Integrity First for America, and they file a federal civil lawsuit against the organizers of the Unite the Right rally. They include Jeff Scoop among those organizers. And their charge is that these people conspired to commit violence at the Unite the Right rally. And so suddenly the National Socialist Movement is in a lot of legal trouble. And so is Jeff Scoop. So what happens next, sort of born out of serendipity. James calls Jeff about a year later in December 2018. Hey, Jeff. What's that? Hello? Yeah, I'm here. Did you say you're calling me back in an hour? or? No, 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 not you, not you. Oh, heck no. Oh, heck no. Just to check in. So this is actually the first of 18 calls that James recorded between him and Jeff, some of which Jeff gave consent on and some he did not. But on this first call, James hears that things have been kind of tough for the group, that there might have been some infighting, some financial challenges. Since Charlottesville, we've been getting sued. So we've been, um, you know, having to come up with money every month for a lawyer and and, uh, basically financially, you know, you know, just man to man. I mean, financially, we are in bad shape because of having to deal with that lawyer. Uh, right, right, you know, right. James didn't know about the lawsuit in the phone call and sort of has this aha moment in the call and says, you know, I have an idea. Here's the thing. You can you can work out your name off that lawsuit. OK, you really can. You can work out. Let me tell you, let me tell you what would get that lawsuit to go away tomorrow. What if you walk away from the organization? The waters could be tested. Let me just let me say the waters could be tested with that with that group, with a third party person saying if the National Socialist Movement is willing to disband their organization as it stands right now. And Jeff Scoop, would you take his name off the lawsuit and he will have the right to start another organization that's for white advancement for white people that has nothing to do with the National Socialist Movement? 
James says, you know, in this moment, you can leave. You can use leaving as a bargaining chip to get off the Charlottesville lawsuit. If you go to the Charlottesville lawyers, the the lawyers representing the victims, and you say, I want to walk away. I am not going to do this anymore. They will be so pleased that they had taken down the National Socialist Movement or at least got the leader of the National Socialist Movement to leave that they will let you off the lawsuit. Whoever filed that lawsuit, give them a victory while you get a victory. This is what James tells Jeff. Jeff is taking it all in in the conversation, and eventually he says, If that's on the table, I mean, I mean they, you know, I'm, I'm willing, to, willing to discuss. If that's on the table, I'm willing to discuss. That's on the table because that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about getting your conference for you, okay? Now, give everything, you know, you know, you, you, know, you don't do anything rational. And so you've heard all of this, like, in the recordings of the phone calls. What are those calls like? They're long. It's a lot of hours of tape. 18 phone calls, I think about 20 hours of tape. But what was so interesting about listening to them was that it was very clear that these men had developed a relationship. They had developed a friendship, and they said that to each other over and over again. The conversations went far beyond talking about the maneuvering of getting Jeff off the lawsuit. They talked about each other's children. Yeah, hold the phone. Jeff, Jeff, I'll put you, come here. Put your Jeff, do me a favor. Tell my daughter she's not cute. I am young here, boss. What's that? I was going to tell my daughter she ain't cute. She, get on my nerves. She's good. She's playing with makeup and stuff and coming in here every five seconds, like looking at me with like a cat to swallow canary. Look at me now. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I'm not, I met your daughter before, remember? Yeah, I know you have, yeah. They talked about pets. They talked about their health. You know, in the very first call, things got personal really quickly because just a few days before James called Jeff, he had been diagnosed with bladder cancer. Hmm. The world keeps evolving. Growing old. You can't fight growing old, Jeff. Your ass go get right. old, whether you like it or not. You know, I got, I got, I got cancer. Okay. I'm, I'm having a tumor removed from me uh, named Fred. I call him Fred. Oh, my gosh. A 10-centimeter a ten tumor removed. But the good thing is it's not my lip noise. I got a tumor that can be removed solidly, singly. You, you follow me? That's, that's good. good. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a blessing. And, of course, James, always the strategist, uses this information as an argument for Jeff to leave the social, National Socialist Movement. But you know something? Right. I couldn't, I couldn't change that. You follow me? I live healthy. Right. I don't smoke. I don't drink. But whatever the conditions of the society is today and that what I've been through... My body grew that. You cannot stop societal change, just like I couldn't stop my body from growing a tumor. So so that's when Jeff decides that he's just going to abandon this neo-Nazi group that he was the leader of. So the decision for him to actually leave the National Socialist Movement takes a while. At the end of that first call, all he gives James' permission to do is look into this. Maybe reach out to the Charlottesville lawyers and start negotiating as a neutral third party. Next, James comes back and he says, okay, actually, it's not good enough for you to just walk away from the National Socialist Movement. You're going to be disbanding the National Socialist Movement by dissolving the corporation. Now, when you dissolve the corporation, what's to stop anybody else from just simply reincorporating it. Nothing. 
Okay, that's a fact. Mm-hmm. Because then your your members, the people that you're afraid might be becoming too violent, will just keep running the organization. But I'm going to incorporate it and hold it for you. <laughs> you got you, you follow what I'm saying? I'm going to hold a corporation for you. And who would ever think a black man would actually have a corporation name? And utilize it for the national social movement. Nobody. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, but because you and I have a long history and we are friends, I don't have a problem doing this. You follow what I'm saying? What you need to do is give the organization to me. If you give it to me, I will shelve it. I'll put it on the bookshelf. Nobody will use it. And you can retire. You can go on your way. And the national socialist movement will no longer be used to create hate in America. So then, at what point does Jeff realize that he's basically been played? So, you know, over the course of two and a half months, James gets Jeff to sign several different documents that basically theoretically hand over control of the organization. And they make a pact. They're going to keep quiet together. They're not going to tell their members Jeff's not going to tell any of his members or even his leadership. James isn't going to tell anybody that he works with. And and when this comes to light, when this goes public, it will be done in a way that sets Jeff up for whatever is going to come next. The plan that they're discussing is one in which Jeff kind of gets to be somewhat like one of the heroes of the story, saying that he walked away from this group, that he took these conscious decisions to put the group away and that he that was that it was all kind of part of his plan. Yeah, James gets to be the guy that helped take out the National Socialist Movement and Jeff gets to be the guy that ends up on the moral high ground. That's not what happened. The conference hasn't started yet. You will be placed on hold until the host arrives. They had a conference call scheduled with the judge for the, the Charlottesville lawsuit at the beginning of March. And on this conference call is the judge. The host has arrived. Joining conference. Hi, this is Joel Hoppe. Who is on the line for the plaintiffs? It's the lawyers for the victims in this lawsuit. It's the lawyers for the other white supremacist, white nationalist organizations that are being sued in the lawsuit. And then... How about um, Mr. Scoop? Are you on the phone? Yes, I am. It's Jeff Scoop and James Stern. Do we have Mr. Stern on the phone? Yes, I have. Just joined in. The two of them are both on the call because at this point, James has convinced Jeff to fire his attorneys so that they can't interfere in their plan and has listed James as the attorney for the National Socialist Movement. And everyone's confused. Your Honor, James Stern, um, on the on 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 issue of discovery, any of the um, information that the National Socialist Movement have, as far as um, website or Twitter accounts or anything like that, could you enter an order? Since I'm now the president of the organization that can um, order that there be no interference by Mr. Scoops of me um, providing that information and having access um, to those accounts. <coughs> Well, I don't know that I can do that based on James pipes up and he says, I am the representative of the National Socialist Movement now. Basically, 
I'll sign anything you need me to sign. The National Socialist Movement did it. We claim responsibility and anything that you need in terms of discovery, I'll sign on the dotted line. And also, by the way, I just want to make sure there's no interference um, from um, any, you know, any opposition from somebody who has nothing to do with the organization anymore. Can you make sure that Jeff Scoop doesn't interfere in anything? And what is his what is Jeff's reaction to that moment? What just happened? I mean, he has he's completely in shock. Almost immediately, some savvy reporters see the court filings. James had filed that week a motion for dismissal, asking the judge to find the National Socialist Movement guilty of whatever they were being accused of. And so they have this conference call. There's been an article published earlier that day by a wire service that says these court papers have been filed and there's a lot of confusion of what's going on. And Jeff isn't answering the phone and James isn't answering the phone. And this this conference call happened in the morning. And, and meanwhile, I'm sitting at my desk in the Washington Post and I see this wire story. And my editor says, hey, can you look into this? And I said, yeah, but, but really I'm confused. It doesn't make any <laughs> sense. And, and the question is, how did this happen? And, and in reality, like everyone involved with this case other than James is also confused. Correct. And it's like, how did this happen? Correct. Meanwhile, in Jeff Scoop's world, things aren't so great. There's panic. There's mass panic. Even his leadership, his closest advisors don't know that this has been going on, that he has been talking to James. And it takes him a while to talk to anybody. But he releases a statement a couple hours after all of this happens that basically says, I was manipulated. So the takeover, this big, beautiful, like, heist of a takeover, it never really actually comes to fruition. Pretty quickly it falls apart. James never really actually legally takes control of the organization. Well, what what do you make of the calls and the relationship that they had crafted? Like, do you feel like that was a genuine friendship? Or was this just a whole long game that James Stern was playing to try to get this guy to think that he was a friend and really use it to humiliate neo-Nazis, use it to humiliate the leader of this group, use it to make himself seem like a hero? It's complicated. Um, A lot of the story is complicated. I think both can exist at the same time. I think that they had a genuine friendship. I believe that they connected in a human way. But I also think that James used that friendship to get Jeff to do what he wanted him to do. James would say that his end goal was always to get Jeff to change his mind. So did you talk to Jeff about all of this? I talked to him in the immediate aftermath, and he was really upset. And then he went dark for three months. Over the summer, he reappeared. And he and I started talking. It became very clear to me that he didn't want anything to do with James. In his eyes... James used him to get attention and never really cared about him as a person. And and part of this process of Jeff going dark, I learned, was that he was actually having conversations with people who had tried to convince him to leave the movement for years. He was reflecting a lot on 
what he had put out into the world and the consequences that it had. And he came to the decision that he didn't just want to retire from the movement. He wanted to actively work against it. Jeff Scope is with us. He is talking about how his life has changed. but how He, he wanted to help other people get out, and he wanted to try and uh, make amends for the, the bad stuff he had put in the world. So let's talk about how you changed. What happened? Why did you have a, a, a bit of a, not more than a bit, a, a dramatic self-realization about what you were doing? There's been, there was a number of incidences. There wasn't just like one grand epiphany that one day I woke up and said, oh, I'm not doing this anymore. It, does, it just doesn't happen like that um, for anybody. You know, it's, it's a series of events. And for me, it was, you know, a number, of, a number of those events were some of the kindness and compassion that other people showed, showed towards me. You know, little, little things, you know, seeing that other people and other races and other families and, and things like that we're going through some of the same struggles that I had went through and just that type of compassion coming from different people and seeing and realizing that this, this really isn't something that anybody should be And so then what did James say about that when he heard that, that Jeff had decided to leave the movement? Over the months that Jeff was sort of reflecting and figuring out what comes next for him, James's cancer got worse. He became much more sick he was not able to have surgeries that he thought he would have to remove the tumor. His chemotherapy was not working. He made the decision to stop the chemotherapy and eventually bring in hospice care. And so Jeff comes back on the scene on the two-year anniversary of Charlottesville and says publicly, announces publicly that he is denouncing white supremacy. And I called up James to see if he had heard the news. And James was pretty sick at this time, and he actually hadn't heard the news. And when I told James, he cried on the phone. And he said, I'm so proud of him. I always knew he had it in him. And then James said, you know, maybe me fighting him so hard all those years, me being so tough on him, maybe that was the best thing that ever happened to him. Hmm. And then, you know, he wanted to reach out to Jeff, but ultimately they never talked because Pretty quickly after that, James's health rapidly declined. He got very, very sick. And on October 11th, he passed away. Oh, really? Yeah. So they never got to, they never got to, like, hash it out. They never got to, like, talk to each other about whether this was a real friendship or or how they were feeling about it or they didn't and and it's something that Jeff still really struggles with i've asked him this question several times and and he has a tough time giving me a straight answer and the question is do you think james stern helped you come to a place where you wanted to leave the national socialist movement did james stern change you And Jeff says it's complicated. Katie Mettler is a general assignment reporter for The Post.
Post Reports is sponsored by The Asset Podcast, produced by the Center for American Progress Action Fund, District Productive, and Protect the Investigation. On July 25th, 2019, during a phone call with a foreign leader, Trump asked for a favor to investigate a political rival. Trump's call set off a cascade of events leading to the current impeachment proceedings. In season two, The Asset shows how all roads lead to Russia and dissects how Trump tried to use the government of Ukraine to help him win in 2020. Download the asset today. And that's it for today's show. Thanks for listening. Our executive producer is Madalie Kasika. Our senior producer is Matt Collette. Our producers are Alexis Diao, Rena Flores, Lena Mohammed, Maggie Penman, Rennie Svernovsky, Jordan Marie Smith, and Ted Muldoon, who also wrote our theme music. The post director of audio is Jess Stahl. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back on Monday with more stories from The Washington Post. Post Reports is sponsored by The Asset Podcast, produced by the Center for American Progress Action Fund, District Productive, and Protect the Investigation. In Season 2, The Asset explains how Trump is trying to use the government of Ukraine to help him win in 2020. Download The Asset today.